we've been on a series called Asking for a Friend. Honest questions about faith, about God, about life. And we said that when a question is too embarrassing or maybe too hostile or um, maybe it, it's just too stupid, I don't know, maybe it's too controversial, we voice the question as coming from a friend as a way to deflect the attention away from us. It's, it, it's not me. I'm not the one asking. I'm asking for a friend. Like, is it, is it normal to throw your back out while sucking in your stomach around the pool? Is that normal? I'm, I don't need to know. I'm just asking for other people. Um, can you divorce your in-laws but keep your spouse? I'm asking for a friend. It's not me, right? It's not me who needs to know, right? And so it kind of it deflects the, the, the attention away from yourself. Can you put whiskey in a humidifier? I, I think people want to know that. And so, but I don't want to know. It's, it's a friend, right? So before we jump into today's topic, let me, let me tell you where we're going because we're getting ready to, to close this series out. And some of you will be really happy about that because we've hit some controversial topics in this. And some of you, you've loved this series. Today's not controversial, neither is next week, but the last week. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. All right. So uh, where we're going in uh, the next two weeks, next week, we're asking the question, why Jesus? And if you've ever wanted to invite someone to church, I'm just telling you next Sunday is the day you need to invite them. Right? We, we've been stepping back and trying to take a critical look at some of these questions. And so like the idea of, of, of why believe in Jesus and you just say, well, the Bible says, well, uh, I mean, it's good if you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, it's like, all right, well, show me why I should trust the Bible. And so we're going to kind of take a step back and we're going to look at why Jesus. Why is Jesus important? Why does Jesus matter? Now, you can pick up invitations on our website at revealvineyard.com slash invite. Pretty easy. Choose the uh, style that you want, click on it, and then you can send off an email. You can personalize the note. But listen, if, if, if reveal has meant anything to you, if Jesus means anything to you, and if you believe that Jesus matters and that Jesus really is the hope of the world, Sunday is a day I encourage you to be inviting someone, anyone, friends, enemies, doesn't matter. Uh, that, that's next week. And then the following week, be a bit challenging depending on uh, where you land on the topic. Uh, we're going to look at this idea of hell and eternal punishment. We're going to ask the question, uh, how could a good God send someone to hell? Or how, why is there eternal, why is there infinite punishment for finite sins. And we're going to take a, a look at scripture and what scripture says about that. And we're going to leave behind all the preconceived ideas and the things we've caught from movies and culture and books and music. And all. we're going to leave it all behind. We're just going to look, well, what, what does scripture tell us and, and how does it apply to us? I think you'll find it extremely interesting if you can be here for that Sunday. Today, asking for a friend, we're asking the question, does prayer matter? I mean, what, what, what's the point? Does, does prayer even work? Why, why should we pray in the first place? Because we all have stories of we prayed and nothing. And then we have stories of we prayed and something. And sometimes that's something we take a step back and we think, was that God or was it a coincidence? I'm not sure. But why, why pray? Does, does, does prayer work? We got a lot to cover today. Stay tuned, stay attached, stay alert going to be good today. Lord, today uh, we just want to hear from you. As always, um, 
We're not here to hear my words, we're here to hear your words, to hear your truth, to hear your insight. And today, we're looking at a difficult topic, if we're honest, because we've all asked the question, does, is, does this matter? Is anything happening? Especially when you seem to be quiet for a period of time. And so my prayer is that you would encourage us, you would broaden our, our view of prayer and the purpose of prayer that we would re-engage you in the activity. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, as always, rest upon us. Let us be encouraged today. And let us sense you calling us in, calling us back to engage with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dads, I haven't forgot about you. I'll get to you in just a little bit, okay? As you read through the Gospels, it quickly becomes evident that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Right? People who were nothing like Jesus liked to be around Jesus. And so wherever Jesus went, word would spread really fast, quickly, and then crowds would begin to gather. And this is where we begin to see a pattern develop in Scripture. Jesus would insert himself in the middle of a crowd to minister to them, right? To pray and to teach and to heal, to cast out demons. He would insert himself in the middle of the crowd, and then we would see him withdraw. He'd pull back and he would go to a secluded place somewhere and he would pray to, to recharge. And on one occasion, his disciples were, were drawn in. They were captivated as they watched him pray. And one of them, maybe speaking for all of them, as was often the case, one of them gathered enough courage to, to say, to say can, can you teach us to do what you just did? Right, can, can you teach us to pray like that? Because we've been watching you and there's something different about what you're doing and how you do it. Can it be taught? If it can be taught, can you teach it to us? See, what they were saying is, Jesus, we're, we're, we're good Jewish boys and we've been around prayer all our lives. We, we know prayer. At least we thought we did until we saw you do what you do. And now we think we're missing something. And so they came with a request, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us to pray. And it's a curious question posed by a group of men who were taught from a young age how to pray. It was a core and essential part of the Jewish faith. They would have grown up uh, praying portions of the Psalms and portions of the Old Testament. They would have grown up twice a day reciting the Shema, the, the oldest fixed daily prayer in the Jewish faith. It is the centerpiece of their morning and, and their morning and evening prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. And then they would continue, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Twice a day, every day, they would pray, they would pray this, offering, uh, covering their eyes. Uh, when someone is near death, they would pray it over them. This was the centerpiece of their faith experience, their faith existence in, in a way. Twice a day, scripted, somewhat monotonous, routine daily prayer. And so now maybe for the first time, they are confronted with a different tone or an unfamiliar intimacy as Jesus prayed. Like, like, like they could see him in a distance and, and they're thinking, 
We have never prayed like that. Have you, ever, have you ever watched someone do what you do, but they don't do what you do because they do it better than you do? It was one of those moments, like, mm, however old they were, man, I've, I've lived a long time, and I have never prayed like that. And so something in them was stirred, and, and, and they, they, they brought a, a simple request, something about the quality and the depth of Jesus prayed, which caused them to reconsider everything they thought they knew about prayer, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I find it interesting that Jesus didn't dismiss the question. That Jesus did, did not say, you're fine. You're, you're good. Boys, just, just keep doing what you've been doing. You've been praying all your lives. Just, just stay the course, right? There, there's nothing I can teach you. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. But that's not what he did at all. Their entire lives, they've been engaging in an activity that I think we can safely assume by this question and how Jesus answered that they knew little about. And so this morning, I want us to ask the same question. Lord, teach us to pray. Because I think a lot of what we assume about prayer may be an assumption that may be half true. And so I want us to come and I want us to ask, Lord, teach us to pray because maybe we know less than we think and maybe the purpose of prayer is not exactly what we think and maybe it's bigger than what we think. See, if I went around the room and I asked you today, what is prayer and what is the purpose of prayer, we'd get different answers, but they would all probably sound something like, well, it's talking to God. And prayer is, 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 is when I make my request known to God. Right? I tell God what's going on in my life, and I, and I tell God what I, I need. I present my request to God, and that is part of prayer, but that is a small part of prayer. Asking for a friend, does prayer matter? Does prayer work? And that somewhat depends on what you think prayer is and how you engage in the activity. See, if, if prayer to you is the Western Christianity prayer, where God is a divine cash machine, where we scramble to find the right pin code to make a withdrawal, that prayer, it doesn't work. But that is the prayer model that we get from so much in Western Christianity. If our approach to prayer is something like a money grab, where it's God, give me this, or God, fix that, or God, change me, or change them, or keep us safe, traveling mercies, let me find my car keys, which turned out to be the very place I left them, right? If, 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 they're, if they're just th those types of prayers, I think you may be a little disappointed. You know, the prayer of God, let me pass this test, you know, the test I didn't study for, God, give me the miraculous gift of smartness. Okay, you've already shown you're not very smart, okay? God's like, that's not a word. So, so, so we, we, we have this tension, right? That that approach to prayer may leave you disillusioned. Now, I'm not suggesting that all prayer is shallow, right? I know that, that many of our prayers have weight, and some of them are life and death. Heal, heal my mother. Restore my relationship, restore my marriage, renew my mind, uh, uh, break the addiction, all worthy and valid prayers. But if we can take a step back from our prayers far enough, we will begin to see that much of our prayers have a singular focus 
on us. Much of my prayers come, come back to me, where, 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 where it's more about what God can do for me, where I want God to do something to create the life that I want. It may be good, but I want God to do something for me to create the life I want, to bend circumstances in my favor. And if that's how you define prayer, if that's all your prayer is, then, then when somebody asks you, does prayer work, you may have a difficult time answering that question. When someone asks you what's the purpose of prayer, you're going to look at your long list of things that God did not do, and you're going to have a difficult time answering the question. Teach us to pray. See, if what Jesus taught was right, is right, and I assume that anyone who can conquer death is always right, and so if what Jesus taught is right, then prayer is more about what God wants to do in us than what we want him to do for us. And if you can shift your, 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 your focus of prayer, you're going to begin to see that that type of prayer always works. We'll talk about it more. But if your approach to prayer is, is one of God being a cosmic vending machine in the sky, yeah, you're, you're going to be disappointed. At some point, you're going to be confronted with, with three options. Either, either God doesn't care because he did nothing, or God doesn't exist, or you're doing it wrong. Not enough faith, too much sin, right? We've, we, we've, we've heard that one. Either way, you will come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't work, and maybe you're right. At least that kind of prayer. So let's, let's jump in a little deeper this morning. Back, back to our story. Lord, teach us to pray, Matthew 6. And, and when you pray, Jesus says, gather on. All right, I'm, I'm going to grant your request. Let me, let me teach you to pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. There's a strong word. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by others. Now he's exposing the religious leaders who made prayer into a spectator sport for their own glory. And Jesus said, these guys, they're hypocrites, right? Like, like, like uh, pretenders need not apply. He goes on. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, what, what is their reward? Well, the first thing, as you look at that passage, you need to know it's not a spiritual reward. If you want to ask, well, what is the reward? It, it, is, it is seen in the last five words of that first sentence. Their reward is that they have been seen by others. In other words, what Jesus is saying, they've received the reward when they were seen and heard by others who thought, ooh, they so spiritual. I wish I could be like them. See, these are the leaders that said, God hears our prayer, but he won't hear your prayer because you don't have the favor of God that we have, and, 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 and you have too little faith and too much sin. This is who Jesus is talking about. And so when they're praying on the corner, it would not be uncommon for people to gather around, and they were like, he's so dreamy. And Jesus says, you know what their reward is? That's it. Nothing more. A few envious onlookers. That's all they get. God's not impressed. God's not even listening. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward. Listen, listen, listen. God is not swayed by perfect prayers from insincere people. It doesn't move him, 
right? He looks beyond the surface. He looks to the heart. And so we can say all the right words. And Jesus says, you can have all the right words, but have the wrong heart. And it doesn't accomplish anything. So Jesus teaches to pray. So he says, all right, get, get, gather, gather around. Here, here's the first thing I want you to learn. Pay attention. Here's the first thing. I need you to forget everything you've seen from your religious leaders because they're doing it wrong. If Jesus was here today and he was speaking to us and we said, Jesus, teach us to pray, he may say something like this. Okay, all right, gather around, reveal. Here's the first thing. Forget everything you've seen from the televangelist on the television with the bad comb over. Wash that from your mind. All right, let, 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 let's, let's, let's approach the subject with, with a clean slate. He goes on. When you pray, go into your room close the door. So, so catch the process. This is step one. Forget what you've seen. And then step two, you're going to need to be intentional to carve out some, some, some uh, uh, time that is free of distraction. And this is where we say, whoa, Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. Like I'm not living in first century Palestine. Okay. I got a lot of things to do. My phone is beeping my email is buzzing, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopping, I'm moving, right? I'm a shaker and a mover. So, so I'm not sure if I can make that happen. I'm not sure if I can, if I can carve out time. See, it, our philosophy uh, is basketball's version. Our prayer philosophy is basketball's version of the run and gun. That's our philosophy for prayer. No time to slow down. I got to push it up the floor. Life is busy, no time to slow down to pray. God bless this, stop that, give me this, protect, change, redo. Thank you for this food I'm about, thank you for this food I'm already eating. I'm sorry, I started too soon. Right, it, our, our prayer philosophy is like the run and gun. And Jesus says, listen, if, if you're gonna step into what prayer is and what prayer is supposed to be, you're gonna need to slow down. You're, you're going to need to take a step back. He's saying, if your prayer experience consistently lacks uninterrupted, distraction-free space, he says, you're doing it wrong. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are saying, well, isn't there a verse somewhere that says pray without ceasing? Like, I like that model. That's my run and gun. I just pray without ceasing. Right before I boot the kids out of the car, I'm like, give them a good day, Lord. I just pray without ceasing. And absolutely, pray without ceasing. It, 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 it's valid. Pray continually is God's invitation for us to take him with us throughout the day. So before you go into the job interview, absolutely pray. Pray that, God, I, I am clothed with your favor and everything that you want for me will come to pass. Pray for that. When the person at work is rubbing you the wrong way before you do it, back to them. Pray for that. Let me be a good represent, representative of Jesus. Before your honey gets funny, before you say it, I suggest you pray it. Right? You'll avoid a lot of problems. Right? And so take, take God with you. Pray continually. Absolutely. Someone said a day without prayer is a boast against God. So yes, pray continually. But run and gun prayer will not replace slow and steady. And if you ask anyone who has a slow and steady prayer life, they will tell you the exact same thing. Something happens when there's time set aside that does not happen when prayer is in the car, on the run, between meetings, 
between a child's diapers. It, just, it, 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 does, it doesn't happen. And so Jesus knows something, right? He, he says, you're going to need to slow down. And so he, he, he continues. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Pray to God, not to Mary, not to your patron saint, not to the universe, not to uh, Mother Earth or the powers that be. He goes on, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. No one may ever see what you do, but your Father sees in secret and he will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray... Do not keep babbling like the pagans. Now, he shifts from the religious leaders and the Jewish faith, and now he's going after the the, the pagan priests. He said, and do not keep babbling like the pagans, right? For they think they will be heard because of their many words. He's saying, look, prayer is not a contest where the most words win. Repetition does not impress God. Don't get hung up on the right words or the right formula because the Father knows your heart. Luke 18 is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, the Pharisees, the same one Jesus just called hypocrites, um, they believed they had a special place with God. And Jesus said that a a Pharisee uh, and a tax collector went into the synagogue, went into the temple to pray. Now, if you were a first century betting man or a first century betting woman, and you had to lay some hard money down on whose prayer you think God is going to answer... You're going to lay the money down on the Pharisee every time. Because in matters of prayer, they were considered to be a professional. Tax collectors were a nuisance. They were the dregs of society. Kind of like cowboy fans. That's what I think. I think think that's what they were like, right? So both of them stand before God. The Pharisee with his self-righteous, well-formed and structured prayers. And a tax collector who Jesus said could barely find the words to speak who stood at a distance, who stayed in the shadows, who couldn't even make his way to the altar. And through, through a busted and broken soul, he utters the words, maybe under his breath, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, one of the two met with God that day. And one of the two went away justified, and it wasn't the Pharisee. Because God is not impressed by the words or the formula or the structure or, or your deep voice or adding an uh at the end of your sentence, uh, right? That, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to him. He's like, I would, just have, I would just rather have you carve out some time and you come as you, not as your pastor, not as the person on TV, not as your spouse, not as, not as, not as this person you're trying to pretend to be. Come as yourself. I can deal with self. It's like, I'm not impressed with pretenders. Now, Jesus continues this thing, right? Teach us to pray. Gather around. Forget what you've seen. Carve out some uninterrupted time. Don't be consumed with using the right words or lengthy repetitive speeches. And just when things were beginning to make sense, he pulls the rug out, as he often did. Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. In other words, they're saying it's not necessary. And here comes the kicker. Do not be like them. Why? Go to that next one, will you? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now the disciples had to be thinking, okay, wait a second. 
wait just one second. God already knows. Um, Jesus, <laughs> then what's the point? Why are we doing all this? Like, like, like we see you doing it, we think that's cool, teach us, and, and, and you're midway through and we're like, okay, throw away everything that we've seen. We're like, that's good, because we never really liked what they were doing anyways, and so you're leading us along, and all of a sudden you tell us God already knows what we need, so what's the point? Why do I need to carve out any time? If he already knows, now this is why I'm saying Jesus was trying to deconstruct something, so he could rebuild something. He says, so, so why are we even doing this? And Jesus would have said, I'm glad you asked because now I got you where I want you. See, they, they wanted to know how, but Jesus was also gonna tell them why. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, Father, good Father, perfect Father. I mean, let, let, let's be clear. Side note, God is not male, right? That, that's something we constructed, Right? Father, though, is an invitation on how we should respond to God. In other words, Jesus is saying, the best way for you to understand and relate to an incomprehensible being, God, is to approach him as a good father. Now, this is lost on us, but first century in Judaism, you could refer to God as the father of a nation, the father of Israel, but you would never refer to God as your personal father. So this was scandalous. Like, something's changed here. Like, God is not just out there at a distance watching us. Like, like, like there is, there is a, a nearness now. Some, something is happening, right? Where, where there's a new way to respond to God. Teach us to pray. Several places in the New Testament, God is referred to or addressed as Abba Father. Now, not the Swedish pop band, Dancing Queen. Love that song, right? It's, it's a word, Abba is a word difficult to translate, but the best that we can determine, it expresses affection and it's a term of confidence. That, that I, I know I'm your son, I know I'm your daughter, and I know you are a good father. And so Jesus says, when you approach God, approach him as father. And for some of you, this is easy because you've had a good father experience. But as the infomercial says, Results may vary. And some of you, you didn't have a good father experience. My dad was impossible to please. And so when I came to faith, much of my faith journey has been trying to work to please God. Because I've spent my whole life trying to work to please a father. See, see your father, he, he, he may have been absent. Your father may have been abusive. Your father may have been in the house, but, but absent emotionally. Right? I, I, don't, I don't know what that might look like for you, but, but you get it. Right? It, it, it's not always that easy. Listen, listen, dads, dads. I realize the challenge. I have three. There have been times when I thought I was going crazy. Right? And it seems the older they get, if you've got little ones, I know it's physically exhausting, but the older you get, you're going to trans transition into an emotional exhaustion because their decisions now can ruin the rest of their lives, right? And those of you that have older kids, you're like, yeah, that's, that, that, that's, it's harder, I think, when they're older than when they're younger, right? And so I, I understand how difficult it is. I understand all the plates you have in the air, but let me just remind us, myself included, that how we live, the people we are, the father we are, the father we portray, not only affects how our children view us, but indirectly it affects how they view God. There's a lot 
riding on what we do. And that's one reason why we have a, a men's Bible study launching you know, in, in the fall when school starts up. I think every guy should be in it because we need support. There's a lot riding on this. And so he says, address God as Father. And then he says, verse 9, hallowed be your name. Teach us to pray. He says, forget about what you know. Carve out time for uninterrupted prayer. Don't be consumed with the right words and repetition. Relate to God as Father. And here, listen, listen, listen. Then he says, and then I want you to pause and acknowledge who you're talking to. Because he's not Pops. He's not Daddy-O. He's not the big man upstairs. He's not my old man. He says, I want you to just take a moment and I want you to pause and I, I want you to recognize who God is. Holy, perfect, incomprehensible. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's, it's hagiadzo is, is the work in the Greek. And, and it means not only to recognize as holy, but it means to, to, to make holy. In other words, what it's saying is, I will not just proclaim that God is holy, but I will, I will remind myself that God is holy. I will place you where you belong, is what it's saying. The New Living Translation, I think, gets a little clearer. It says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. God, may I keep your name holy. Now, only when we pause to recognize who God is, do we gain a better understanding of who we are and why we are here. And this is where life is put into perspective. Because his glory reminds us that I am not the center of the universe and I'm not the center of my story. You're not the center of your story. If we, if we skip past this part, listen, please, please listen. Jesus was taking them on a journey. Please listen. If, if we skip past this part, then God becomes common and ordinary. And then we, re we, we reduce God to a good luck charm. Bless me as I go. If you miss the glory of God, the holiness of God, the magnitude of God, the splendor of God, then he will just become a little vending machine, a good luck charm to give you what you need throughout the day. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on a second. Without a proper perspective of who God is and who I am, Jesus knows the next part of the prayer, and this is where it gets heavy, the next part of the prayer experience will not happen. And this is why you need space. That if you rush past the holiness of God, you will resist what comes next. And what comes next is possibly what prayer is all about. And before we get into it, I want you to think back to, if you can, if, uh, depending when you learn, I want you to think back to when you learned how to swim. Or I want you to think back to when you taught your children how to swim. Now, if you taught them as a baby, this won't apply. But if you taught them, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, maybe a little older, I want you to think back teaching them how to swim. And then specifically, I want you to, I want you to picture the terror on their face. Right? With, with my, my kids, anyways, screaming and tears as I pry them away from the cool deck, right? Hands gripped to the side, pulling them away. There's tears, there's screaming, there's, there's don't let go, daddy. And the older they are, the older they are when, when they finally learn to swim, the more we naturally resist the process of learning to swim. But then at some point, we're going somewhere, at some point it clicks. 
But learning to swim and enjoying to swim does not happen until we learn to surrender. You cannot teach your child to swim if they're fighting you. Right? You have to surrender to the instructor. You have to surrender to the process. You have to surrender to dad who says, I got you. If we do not learn to surrender, we will fight the water and the water always wins. But once we learn the art of surrender, in time you are introduced into a magical world you have never known. The world of Marco Polo, for example. <laughs> hey, the world of whitewater rafting and jumping off of cliffs, right? And surfing and everything else that comes with it. But if you do not learn to surrender, you will never experience what's on the other side. And this is where Jesus is taking us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here it comes, here it comes. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen to what he's saying. Teach us to pray. Forget what you think you know. Provide uninterrupted space. Don't get hung up on the right words, formulas, or patterns. Relate to God as a good father. Pause and acknowledge who God is. And here it comes. Get out of the way. Surrender yourself. And, and this is what your kingdom comes, your will be done means it at its core it's a prayer of surrender it's a prayer that requires letting go of the side of the pool where you're comfortable surrendering to your heavenly father who will then introduce you to a world you will never know if you're constantly fighting him and let's be honest in our prayers especially in our run and gun prayers the topic of i surrender rarely shows up Right? We, 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 don't, we don't pray to surrender, we pray to get rescued. And Jesus is saying, you're missing something. Jesus knows if you really want to be rescued, then you have to let go and you have to surrender, which is an unnatural place to be. My natural focus will always be on my kingdom. It will always be on my plans, my agenda, my future, my problems, my situation, my circumstances, my stress, my fears, my children, my finances. And, and isn't prayer about getting my needs met? And that's how most in Western Christianity approach this activity of prayer. Isn't it about getting, getting what I want? Isn't it about getting my needs met? And maybe the answer to that is yes and no. Apparently, according to Jesus, my greatest need in order to be the me I want to be and the me God desires me to be is to learn to surrender. Maybe the need you have is bigger than you realize. Besides, the problem of me, the question of, of my stuff and getting what I want, Jesus already covered that. He said, your father already knows what you need even before you ask it. Right, right. So it appears that prayer is more about God, what God wants to do in you than what God wants to do for you. Don't get me wrong, for you is part of it. But listen to what Jesus is saying. That once we acknowledge God for who he is, something changes. We begin to pray, let your kingdom come. And what is the kingdom? The kingdom is not a place. We talk about this all the time. The kingdom of God is present wherever the rule and reign of God is established. 
And so when Jesus would perform a miracle, he would say, the kingdom of God is at hand. He would heal someone. He would say, the kingdom of God is among you, or the kingdom of God is near. He's saying that, that the rule and reign of God is near and is doing battle against evil, against sickness, against disease, against injustice, against the demonic. And whenever the rule and reign of God was established, the kingdom of God was there. And so when you pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, you are praying, let your rule and reign be firmly established in me. And that cannot happen without surrender. It is a prayer of letting go. This is, this is why this prayer pushes against our selfish nature. Listen, because as I pray for his kingdom to come, by default, I'm praying for my kingdom to go. When's the last time you prayed for your kingdom to go? More of you, less of me. It's a prayer of surrender. If you remember in John's gospel, uh, Daniel spoke about this several weeks ago, did a great job. Uh, it was the, uh, the wedding at Cana. And it was the first public miracle of Jesus. And uh, his mother, Mary, came to him because they ran out of wine. And she came to him with a request and said, hey, we're almost out of wine. And Jesus said, dear woman, that's not my problem. Now, guys, here's my suggestion to you. It may only work one day out of the year on Father's Day. If your wife comes to you with a request today, just quote Jesus. <laughs> woman is not my problem. And if that doesn't work, Blame Daniel, all right? He's the one that first brought up the topic, okay? So, so he, she comes to Jesus with this request, right, I, 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 that we're almost out of wine. And then I want you to notice the next verse. Jesus like, that's not my problem. Jesus doesn't, Mary doesn't beg, doesn't make another request. She just moves on. And she says, verse, verse five, she told the servants, do whatever he says. Now, we don't know how the conversation got there. We don't know if Mary gave Jesus that look only a mother can give. That looks and says, I know you're God, but you're not too big for me to grab you by the ear and march you right out of this place. I don't know. And so she says, she goes to the servants and she says, do whatever he says. I don't know what he's going to do and I don't know how he's going to do it. But catch this, so important. We need to be ready to say yes. Let me talk to the dads. Let me talk to the men. The secret to the life that you want the secret to the good life, the Bible calls it the blessed life. Listen, listen, listen. The secret to the life you want, right? right you, want, you want a lifetime of love, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you want to find the right person. I assume you want to, you want to have a family that, that, that blesses you. I assume you want to be surrounded by friends. I assume on your deathbed, you, you want to be surrounded by the people who you've sown into, have enriched your life. I assume that you want to have a life of, of laughter and not a, a life of jumping from one turmoil, one drama to the next, right? I, I assume that's what you want. Jesus knows the secret to a good life, the secret to reaching our potential as men, as husbands, as fathers, and as Christ followers, listen, is to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And I know it's simple, but a 100% money-back guarantee if you want to turn your life around. Take the words of Mary and apply it to yourself. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. 
I'm going to love like Jesus tells me to love. I'm going to serve like he tells me to serve. I'm going to forgive like he tells me to forgive. I'm going to manage resources like he tells me to. I'm going to guard my heart like he tells me to. Listen, you're not going to get it right every time, but at least you're in the fight. Do what Jesus tells you to do. So I, I, I want you to become the person you want to be more than I want you to become the person God wants you to be. And that only happens when we surrender. Your kingdom come. We're saying you set up your rule and reign in me and my family and my relationships, my finances, my job, my thoughts, my activities, my hobbies. Let your rule and reign come. Okay, stand up. I'm going to pray for you. We're not done with the message. We're getting close to wrapping it up. But I'm going to pray. Let me have all the men stand. Um, I, 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 want, I want to pray blessing on you, but I, I want to pray that you step into the art of surrender. I want to pray that you finally say, I give up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when I pray your kingdom come, I'm praying for my kingdom to go. Listen, if you're around someone, especially if you know them, just put your hand on their shoulder if you're married, put your hand on their butt. That's okay. I'm just, I'm just saying. Father, I, I want to bless the men of Reveal. And the load that we carry is enormous. And sometimes the heaviness of that load will cause us to, to react in ways that are unhealthy, will cause us to go down rabbit trails, and will, will cause us to drift God, we've been there, I've been there, I know. But we today, as a church community, are praying for your blessing to be upon every man who calls reveal their home. I pray that you would be so powerfully upon them that our sincere and honest prayer would be for your kingdom to come. Establish your rule and reign in my life. Whatever it means, I'm ready to say yes and do what you say. I'm ready to begin to step into being the man you've called me to be, the, the, the husband or the future husband or the boyfriend you've, you've called me to be or, or the employee or the, or the father or the servant, whatever it means. We're saying yes. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out an enormous blessing upon them. I pray today that they would feel hope I feel, pray today that they, they, they would feel hope and that you are not through with us. And today we, came, we come. We say we surrender. And in that surrender, we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Wrapping it up, I promise you. Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, here's why this is important. Because I want... Without I yield, right? I want without I surrender. I want you to give me. I want without I, I yield. It just means you're a taker. Let's just say it, right? I want without I yield is just I'm using God as my sugar daddy to give me what I want. God's like, well, I'm not going to answer that. 
See, see the, 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 the journey is taking us to this place of, of yielding to God. If, if I want is without I yield, at some, I yield, at some point I want will leave you unsatisfied. Listen, I don't know why some prayers go unanswered. I don't know why it seems that God is distant, why it seems that sometimes prayer doesn't work. But I, I'm telling you, if you expand your view of prayer, this prayer that Jesus is telling us, a prayer of recognizing God for who he is and a prayer of surrender, it works every time. Listen to me. Every time you do that, you will not be the same man this time next year. You take this prayer, you will not be the same woman you are next year. Guaranteed. If I'm wrong, I'll buy you dinner. My choice, somewhere cheap. Because I'm assuming if you're wrong, if, if you think I'm wrong, you're mad at me. And if you're mad at me, you're not giving anyways. No, I'm just totally kidding on that part. <laughs> it's a total joke. Listen, this prayer, please hear me. This prayer, it works every time. Because when you recognize God for who he is, it pushes you to your knees. And when you're on your knees from that position, the only thing left to, left to do is to say, I surrender. See, they wanted to know how to pray. Jesus saying, can I tell you why you need to pray? You need to surrender to him. And that only comes through prayer. Teach us to pray. In other words, before you get to the I need, he's saying align yourself with the I am. The purpose of prayer, at least in part, is to reform my will to reflect his will. Now, quickly, Jesus then pivots, and he finally takes us to the place that we usually start, and that is the grab bag, right? It's all, all of my needs. And he says, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and here is provision, right? This would have taken them back immediately to the first, their first century audience, back to their ancestors who were gathering food in the desert, and it was, it was a time of God, uh, God's provision upon them, a time of God saying, rely on me. He even warned them that one day a day is going to come that you're going to have so much bread, you're going to think you did it on your own, you're going to have so much food, you're going to think you don't need me anymore. So here Jesus says, give us what I need. Give us what we need. Give us our daily bread. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, and we love that part. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Jesus, again, he's leading us in a prayer of surrender, a prayer of trust that you will give me what I need. And then he moves from, he moves from provision to pardon. He says, and forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is a request with a catch, right? In other words, he's saying, forgive me the same way I'm going to forgive others. Jesus is saying, do you need forgiveness? I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you surrendered enough to forgive those who have hurt you? Will you give the very thing you're asking? Because if you're asking for something you're not willing to give, you know what that's called? It's a hypocrite. Jesus, matter of fact, he builds on this so much on Matthew 6, the, the next verse. He says, For if you forgive other people when they for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, 
then your father will not forgive you. In other words, do not expect what you're not willing to give. This again is a prayer of surrender, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe that what you want is best for me and I'm gonna process through forgiveness. I'm gonna release the offender because if I'm honest, they can never repay what they've taken from me anyways. How do you give back a first marriage? How do you give back a childhood? Right? How do you give back a reputation? And so Jesus knows you're going to have to choose to forgive. Let them go. It's pardon. And then he moves from provision, pardon, and then he goes to protection. Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we can personalize that saying, do not deliver me into temptation. In other words, pray for wisdom. Let me have the band come up. Pray for wisdom and authority. Pray, pray to be empowered to avoid temptation in advance. Listen, typically our response is something that goes more like this. I'm going to sin now and ask for forgiveness later. And Jesus says, that approach doesn't work. Why don't you pray on the front end? Can, can, you, can, you, can you learn to begin to pray as you feel yourself slipping? And so maybe ask yourself, what leads you into temptation? Who leads you into temptation? Listen, Jesus says, gather around. You want me to teach you to pray? Here's what you need to learn. First, forget what you think you know. Provide some uninterrupted space. Don't get hung up on the right words or the formulas. I need you to relate to God as a good father. I want you to pause long enough to acknowledge who he is and in doing so, realize who you are. Then I want you to get out of the way. I want you to surrender. I want you to give what you've been given. I want you to be free in offering forgiveness. Then I want you to acknowledge your dependence, surrender. Your dependence for his provision, his pardon, his protection. Listen, listen, listen. Does prayer work? This prayer works every time. Listen, I know the frustration of praying and wondering. I have that list too. You will not wonder if you engage in this prayer. Keep praying for the rest of it. Absolutely, 100%. That's a topic for a different day. But this prayer, every time, every time. Does prayer matter? If you engage in this prayer, you will meet me here in about six months and you will say, that prayer changed my life because it drove me to a place of surrender. And so today as we close, I want us to just have a declaration of surrender. So if you would bring those lights down, Lord, whatever needs to be spoken, whatever needs to happen, would you speak to us today? Maybe it's coming before the altar. Um, maybe it's kneeling. Maybe it's laying something down. But I, I pray that we would embrace surrender today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak the words of surrender over us. You can stand, you can sit, you can come to the altar. Hey, be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you about maybe someone you know who's here. That the Holy Spirit wants you to give a word to them, a word of encouragement.
that's your prayer this morning. I hope your prayer is, God, I desperately need you to speak into my soul. Maybe your prayer is, God, I need you to shake some dead bones. Whatever you need to do, my answer is yes. I surrender. And that prayer works every time. Every time. I bless you, Reveal. And I speak a special blessing over every man in the room, part of our online community. I speak a blessing over you, more of the Holy Spirit, more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, more of the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, and more surrender. In Jesus' great name, amen. All right, men, get out there and eat some food. God bless you. Happy Father's Day. I look forward to seeing you next week. Please invite someone next week for our topic on why Jesus. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.